This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Are you looking for some wool for your little ones on your next adventure? Try Ella's Wool. We've been using Ella's Wool since Rory was two months old, and I can say that he's always snug and cozy when he's in his Ella's Wool on our outside adventures. The moisture wicking material is sure to keep your little one comfortable on their next adventure. Whether it's around the block or trekking to the top of a mountain, Ella's Wool will have your little ones covered. Use code HIKINGTHROUGHLIFE2020 to save 10% off your order. Go to ellaswool.com and use the code HIKINGTHROUGHLIFE2020 to save 10% off your next order. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share, or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Megan Fitzgerald. Megan, alongside her husband, is the co-founder of Tinker Garden, a program promoting outdoor learning activities for kids and supporting families' education to further support their child's development. In addition to having a passion for outdoor education, Megan spent 18 years as a curriculum developer and elementary school principal. Most importantly, Megan is a mom who likes to get messy with her own children and understands that getting messy and play is in the heart of childhood. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Sam. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you. And so usually I start these conversations by like asking people their earliest memory of being outdoors, but there was a statistic on your website that really stood out to me just now where it said, since the pandemic, there's been a 50% increase in kids screen time. And now more than ever, our kids need to be outside. So I want to know, how do you navigate that own problem with your own kids? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's a pull. And we're not, you know, I think as a family, we're technologists, too. So I think we see the value in screens, but so much for young minds and young bodies, the need to use all of our senses to be moving to be, you know, our screen lives really narrow us down to sight, maybe sound. Um, And there's something that happens when the brain interacts with a screen that doesn't activate all of these other ways of knowing um, also that I think are so important for mapping that brain for learning all kinds of things and problem solving down the road. Never mind the social things that are just much harder to pull off um, when you have a screen that's pulling everybody's attention. So, 
we are, have, in our family, we are really thoughtful about screen time. We actually have a blog post about that, kind of how Brian and I have tried to make it more of an art. Um, and think about, there are some wonderful experiences like Zooming with our extended family that were core to um, our pandemic survival for, some, for several of my kids' school was online. Um, and that was you know, a big part of their day that has thankfully shifted back to in-person. Um, and we do love family movie night and storytelling now that my kids are seven, nine, and 11, but we have really thoughtful rules around it. You know, we follow the rules of we don't watch screens by ourselves. When we watch screens, we're in a social space. We are near other people. So we're not kind of in a position where we might find ourselves down a path in screen worlds where we don't want to be. We also share and talk about what we do watch and we're thoughtful about is this is this useful quality screen time versus not as useful screen time. And then we just straight up limit it because there's better things to do with our bodies and our minds. And we obviously, uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, obviously love to go outside. And most of my kids would choose to go outside um, most of the time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, that's so awesome. I like how you said, like, you, you're really thoughtful about it and you don't allow like just one person watching a screen. It's more of like a group interaction. That's actually one of, I got that from a book called The Art of Screen Time, that where you watch and how you watch, in addition to the quality of what you watch and matching what you watch to the learn, the person, um, what's the right content at a given age, given time. You know, I still feel like for before two, there really isn't much that's valuable as the brain's developing. But after that, well, to say that there, you know, screens are all bad isn't necessarily going to be helpful but screens will be part of our world, but how do you prepare kids to have the right balance of experiences and then also to be thoughtful themselves about their consumption of media and screens because they're out there. So how do we model being really thoughtful about our choices um, so that our kids hopefully moving forward when they're no longer with us are thinking about the media that they could consume versus other experiences and making choices that are really great and balanced for them. Exactly. And like those things have to start like at the earliest age of early childhood, which yeah. is why the idea of Tinker Garden is so cool. And I don't know if I mentioned this or not when I originally emailed you, but I'm a preschool teacher and I teach in an outdoor, outdoor school. So yeah, I like loved the whole idea of Tinker Garden and what you guys are doing and being like community-based and um, so let's start with like, how do you, how did your path um, even get into Tinker Garden? Like you were a principal in a school. Yeah. I started out as a classroom teacher and then became a staff developer and curriculum developer and became an elementary school principal and loved that work. I loved every stop along that journey. And I went from middle school down to elementary school. So worked with a lot of different kids and a lot of different families. But then when I was working as a principal, I was supporting educators and parents and kids. And I was feeling like all of them were struggling with the changes in childhood. And no one quite knew what to do about it. So for teachers, there was so much academic pressure coming down on these little people. And play was getting sort of squeezed out. Um, joy and learning seemed to be harder to find than it had been even 10 years before. For parents, screens had happened and nobody was looking and no one realized it and sort of like, what's going on? And lives were very structured, very adult-driven, very, um, very frenzied. And, and then for kids, they just seemed to be missing 
some of the joy and, and a lot of their free time. So they were not going outside as much as uh, our, their parents' generation, about 50%. And then they also just weren't having as much time for free play. So that combination of play and outdoors as an ideal classroom just kept coming back to me. And I would see students go outside. And when learning was taken outside, I just saw the playing field leveled. I saw people show up in ways that were just beautiful. And I couldn't put my finger on it. But when I was having my first child, I stepped out of being a principal and did a lot of reading. That's right when Last Child in the Woods came out. And I started studying forest school models and abroad and, and in pockets around the United States. Um, and got really excited about that combination of nature as the best classroom and play is just the natural way to learn all things. And, and how can we bring more of that back into the day-to-day -day lives of families? And could that be the thing that would solve sort of the, those problems that those adults were feeling uncertain about how to solve? Well, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned Last Child in the Woods, because I feel like, so I've talked to a handful of like outdoor play enthusiasts and just on this podcast and so many people talk about that. And I just feel like that's like the, yeah. the gateway for people who like are such enthusiasts in this, in this realm and this It was world. a really, it was a really moving book in that moment. And, um, and I think it was an important inflection point for people to start to really see there were Waldorf programs. There were, you know, in pockets you could find things, but why isn't every family out in the woods? I lived in Brooklyn and people would be, but all the playgrounds were full on the edge of Prospect Park, which is a beautiful big park. And my husband, who's my co-founder, who's also really um, involved in the formation of Tinker Garden because he was the head of product for a startup and was trying to hire people who could be flexible and creative and resilient and was like, wow, people are really struggling to play in their thinking, you know? And so we got together and thought, ooh, this is really, really important. Um, and you know, he's a technologist and a, and a very creative person. So thinking about the roots of his own creativity, it was all this time to be outside, open-ended play, problem solving with other kids, different ages in the neighborhood. And so that's where really this all came together. Um, but yeah, we were really noticing that families would play in the playgrounds, but they weren't playing in the massive green space in the middle. It was like the most beautiful public park you can imagine. And there were very few people in the center where all the green space was, the wild space, but there was a lot of action in the playgrounds and playgrounds were great, and it was sort of like, why isn't everybody in the forest, you know, or in the meadows? And it was really kind of a moment of, huh, we could do something about that. Right. Well, you know, it's like people like a designated space and a playground is such a designated space to put your kids safely and let them play. And unless you grew up playing in the woods, it's not going to be something you naturally tell your kids to go do, I think. Mm hmm. You, you said you left your principal job when you had your first kid and mm -hmm. then you kind of never went back to no, principal I, or school. I didn't. And the first year of her life, I was home and reading and researching and just sort of inhaling all sorts of information about this. And we even have maps of Brian, my husband and co-founder and I mapping out how we could, what could we do? You know, there's scouts, but that doesn't seem to be fitting the need. And what, you know, how, what kind of, what could we do on a local level? It started very local. And when, when Maeve was about a year old, I went over to England um, to do a forest school leader training and just wrote to, wrote to the University of Brighton and said, could I just join in? I'm from the United States. I'm not going to be a forest school leader in the UK system, but I just want to soak it in. So I went over for a week and 
took the classes you would take to be a forest school leader and, and be certified in the UK and loved it. And it kind of brought all the pieces together. And that started me thinking about, well, what kind of experience? And, and it was great because it was in London, which wasn't so dissimilar from New York City. But it got me thinking about, well, how could you pop up a classroom anywhere? You know, how could I just bring some people together in those green spaces where nobody is and, and engage kids around self-directed play and then help the grown-ups to sort of move back a bit, right? And play a supportive role where I myself was trying to figure that out with this little 13-month-old pumpkin. You know, I'm so I'm actively parenting, but I really want to be, you know, guiding and enabling, right? Um, so how can how could we do that? And that started the thinking of, well, could you create a group experience where people come together, the kids can play together in the green space, and someone could guide a two-generation experience that supported learning through play. And that began the research project of what skills can you learn through play and where's the brain science and the research so for the next few years, tested out curriculum, blogged about it. Um, subjected our friends and neighbors to all kinds of shenanigans and documentation, and then started to get hearing back from people around the country. Oh, I would like to do this in my park. I need this. My community needs this. And that started us thinking about, well, what if we were to create a platform and a training program and a, and a proper curriculum that we could measure and test and, and give to teachers in any park, in any green space to guide local families through learning. And that's how we built Tinker Garden. Well, yeah. And I love the concept that it's guiding families. Like it's like this two generational approach, which not just like the families drop off the kid and say bye. Right. Like you guys, I think you say there's like three, there's three parts to the Tinker Garden, like the leader, the, the guy. So there's the leader who's the teacher. Um, and there's guides who are all the grownups. So those might be grandparents, caregivers, parents, um, a beloved adult, and then there's the explorers who are the children. Um, and everybody's learning um, that, and the experience is really designed to promote play-based social learning for the kids, but it's also an opportunity for the adults to reflect on a different play facilitation technique or concept about early development each season. So, and the kids are working toward eight specific skills. So as we researched, we really looked at what skills are hard to teach in typical schools, but are so necessary and are perfectly developed on the foundational level through play, especially play outside. So we identified over through our research eight skills and each season, our curriculum focuses on supporting one of those skills and kids who participate earn a badge in that skill and then move on to the next skill. And then you can keep going and come back through because we have kids who do it, you know, year and year and year and year, but then um, you come back at an older age and um, we always throw new twists in, but there are eight, eight different seasons of curriculum that we flow through. And so the skills, you said they're skills that you typically aren't learning in schools. They're harder to teach. They're the softer skills. So one example is this season, this winter will be teaching persistence and grit. You know, like how do you really learn to persist through challenges and how can we use animal superheroes, we call them, but our animal friends to teach us lessons and set up play opportunities that help us build persistence. Or we have then the spring will be creativity. Um, you know, creativity is when kids are born creative geniuses. You know, they're wonderful divergent thinkers, but then the world kind of really takes that away in large and, and for good reason, because you can't stay so divergent, but but there's a, it swings so far. How can we keep some of that really 
free thinking and, and into adulthood um, or empathy being another example of one that's so important, but uniquely our connection to animals, to nature, play, um, allows little children to build the three components of empathy in, in ways that it's really hard to teach otherwise. So um, those are some examples of the eight skills that we teach. Yeah, I think those are really important, especially being in a school myself and just seeing the challenges and like the the curriculum you have to teach and the things that we have to do to meet certain standards that are kind of blocking what what you guys are talking about. So that's yeah. awesome and so important. So is there like a certain age range that Tinker Garden is aimed for? Yeah, we have curriculum for six months to 18 month olds as our babies program. That's been on pause since pandemic started, um, but we're very eager to get that back again. That's a super sweet kind of start to your relationship with nature and your life as a sensory learner. Um, and a lot actually for the caregivers who come and the guides, because when you have a new person, community is so important. Um, and then the core program is really geared for two to eight-year-olds, which is a big age range, but mixed age play is a huge part of what we do. So we have, you know, ways of giving our youngest explorers entry points in and then helping our oldest explorers to be leaders and teachers. And that's part of the program. But um, we focus on that, you know, sort of two to eight um, age range in the current current program. Okay. And so when a person comes to a class, you said there's like these different seasons and different themes. Yeah. So what can someone expect? Um, we offer a program that's 12 weeks worth of experiences. So there's content to do to get excited before that you can do on your own at home. So pre-recorded videos and activities and read-alouds and stuff to get ready. And then for nine weeks, uh, families come to a live class once a week, typically in a local green space. Um, and or online, so we have an at-home version, which came out of pandemic, but is great for people who don't live near a Tinker Garden teacher. And that's a once a week touch point that's guided by a Tinker Garden leader for adults and kids to join together to play. And so for nine weeks, once a week, you would come and experience a different Tinker Garden play lesson. And then at home during the week, you have in your My Tinker Garden dashboard, you have three at-home play activities, a video read aloud, and some other resources that help you build on the theme from class and just keep playing at home. Okay, that's so awesome because it's like so like laid out for families and you're giving families activities to do at home and right. like the families don't need to think about it. Because I think that's the thing too. Families are too busy to think about things these days and that's where the screen comes in. Absolutely. And there's no pressure because we don't all get to all the activities. So you're as long as you have your account on Tinker Garden, you can go back to those activities anytime. Um, you know, we also know that some families have different schedules. Some kiddos are in school part of the time, some are homeschooled, some are still home, um, you know, and so, and parents have different levels of time and capacity, but we make it super easy, all household materials, just ways to continue helping kids learn to play independently, be curious about the natural world, um, and build these skills, but you can kind of pick and choose what works for you and, and always go backwards or forwards, depending on what works for your family. Exactly. What works for your family. I mean, I think that's like the key thing that you guys are so family involved here. Cause like, so when 
the pandemic started as a preschool teacher, we had to put some things out online, but we were so adamant that like, we're not going to lead a live zoom class and say, you have to be here at this time Mm -hmm. because it was already a stressful time for people. It's so hard. It's so hard. And I think there's a decent amount of, at least when my oldest who's now 11 was born, I just felt so much the desire to find other perfectly imperfect parents that could be supportive fellow on this journey versus the pressure of needing to do everything right or needing to be perfect or needing to be because it was there whether you know it was it was so ever present and I think for our kids they need to see us model being just you know, doing the best that we can good enough is great you know and and I think play and being outside once you get into it and you know, it's tap, put your toe into that water and see how easy it is and how kids just naturally take to it. It really does become part of what your family does and you become much more likely to, to weave it in. But if it feels like it's work and it's more and it's hard and then, then I think families have enough pressure. Um, they don't need more, you know, they need community, they need support, they need easy. Um, so that's what we try and provide. Well, yeah. And it seems like, I mean, you guys have been doing this for how many years or how many seasons? Nine years. Yeah. May will be the 10 year anniversary of the first like little class that I offered in Prospect Park. So that's pretty amazing. That's awesome. Because now you're in all 50 states, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. We have teachers in all 50 states. um, And we've got, I think we reached our 450,000th family who's participated in a Tinker Garden program of some kind, which is pretty amazing. And I'm sure that you see a lot of returning families with like when they have more kids. Is that typically mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, and that's one of our favorite things is that, and leaders also, our teachers, uh, um, 75% of them bring their own children to Tinker Garden programs. So it's a lot of parents who are also doing this work, teacher parents, um, many self identify as educators, many as parents. So their families are part of that community also. I think that's what makes it really personal and really connecting on the local level is it's uh, families connecting with other families, teachers who are also parents doing the same thing right alongside everyone. So I think it has a very natural community feel and naturally sort of brings in other families uh, because families feel connected, bring in others. And it's very much um, kind of organically has grown that way. Yeah. I love that about it too. And that's like one reason I was like, oh my gosh, like you can bring your kids. Like, cause I have an almost 14 month old now. I was like, oh, I should do this with my, with my 14 month old. And if you want baby classes, maybe I should do a baby class. (laughs) Yeah. Well, stay tuned. Cause we are chomping at the bit to get that going again. It is the sweetest thing to see little ones who are so, you know, ready to be in the grass, but sometimes we, especially uh, first ones or, you know, or, or little ones that have different sensory responses you might've had. I remember my first was really tentative. My second was in the mud, you know, but if it had gone the other way around, they would have been, what did I do? Right? You know, so just coming to understand each little person as a sensory learner and, as, you know, and who they are and how they interact with the natural world and how you can support that is such beautiful work. Um, we can't wait to get back to it. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. It's just like, it's magical to watch a little baby mm-hmm. like interact and just like the calmness that comes over yeah. them when they get outside, not even just babies, kids in general. So this is what I always say. If I had known as a classroom teacher, that what I love about being outdoors is it is both truly stimulating. So 
So it wakes up your sensory system. It hits all the different senses, even those hidden ones that can get in the way of us being able to focus. But it also simultaneously calms. So if I could have taken my classroom of children and made them both calm in all the right ways and focused in all the right ways, I would have stood on my head. I would have done anything. And you go outside and it sort of naturally happens in a really, in an equitable way. What a, what a gift to kids, right? Absolutely. And you also have another quote on your website. That's like, you can't bounce off the walls when you're not in inside the walls. And like, that is so true. Like, I, I just think there's such a difference of behavior and interactions amongst adults and children when Absolutely. you're out there. When there's more space. And I think there's also the opportunity to give kids more space in a risk-taking way. Because we learn on the limits, right? We learn how we, we are most alert and engaged on the edges of where we're comfortable. And it's hard to provide that in a contained space. But when you're in an open space and you can waddle on logs and you can try to climb things that might be too hard for you to climb and and when the adults can get more comfortable with allowing that kind of risk taking, then there's less struggle too. Because there, you know, I think when we're indoors, when we're in a more controlled environment, a more adult directed activity, there, it, there isn't that much opportunity to take risks and try things and drive my own learning. And that's what's so wonderful about taking everybody outside, opening the container, both the literal and the figurative container and just giving kids more space and opportunity. Right. Yeah. Just opportunity to explore on their own and, and kind of be their own leader in a way. And that's big at Tinker Garden. We say we follow kids' leads and we play the roles of stage managers or the people who are there. You know, the hummingbird parent, which is another analogy that I love. Um, I taught in the time of helicopter parents and just felt like, whoa, you know, lots of, lots of oversight. Felt like that might, that's definitely not the right balance, but I love the hummingbird analogy because a hummingbird is ever there and ready if needed, but almost imperceptible. So quiet, you know, um, and that's, that's a lovely place to be, to be able to observe your child, to be there for them to know that you're there and you're a resource, but you're saying to them, you've got this and this is your play and this is your work and allowing them the space to, you know, fail and try and invent and all the things that kids are great at doing. I really like that analogy a lot. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So do you see a lot of parents come to the Tinker Garden courses and see like a growth in their hummingbird parenting? <laughs> Absolutely. I think sometimes they first see a growth in their child and that it helps them to lean into the hummingbird a little bit. Sometimes when we are very understandably, and I am a thousand percent um, guilty of this, we want to give everything to our kids. So when there's a learning moment, we, we just want to give. Um, and sometimes that give is a little bit more directing than we would want to be, you know, or that we even mean to be. So when you do get children into a group setting, it kind of naturally allows you space to sit back a little bit because they're with their peers and they're playing and they're doing their thing and you have peers to be with and a guide and a leader to sort of encourage you to play your own role, then that space allows you to see, wow, they're capable of things that I mightn't have realized if I were directly involved in it. Um, and, and that is a really powerful thing, that little, little bit of time and space to observe. You can pick up on things you might not pick up on in your child. And I think creating that space for yourself or for families in a program like Tinker Garden is really powerful. 
And then just planting the seed of ideas, you know, um, even the analogy of uh, sometimes we're hummingbirds, sometimes we're helicopters, just even being mindful of those analogies makes us more aware of how we're operating, that we have choices in a situation, which you're just not conscious of a lot of the times. So, okay, and this, we're going to go out our own to the park. Am I going to be right involved or am I going to, you know, give kids an invitation? There's nothing we talk about in Tinkergarden all the time. All of our lessons are invitations. We give an invitation. We might put some materials out there, read a story, make up a problem to solve, something that hooks their attention. But where it goes from there is entirely up to the children. So helping adults think about their work as being the invitation giver and then the supporter who stands back is really different than being the sort of entertainment director or the person who has to make it all work. Actually, it's quite a load off as an adult to be like, oh, yeah, I don't have to make every moment great. I just have to set up an environment for my kids and then they can play from there and I'm here uh, for them when they need me. So sometimes just even the reframing of it is, is very game-changing for adults. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that's like a huge aha moment for adults because especially like in the school system, adults see their kids going to school and say, you have to listen to your teacher. You have to do the work your teacher's doing. And typically teachers are like just giving very concrete directions of what you're supposed to do. It's not that open-ended and frankly, that's how most of us were taught. So yeah. most of us have had some formative learning experience where it was very much imparting information and we were um, we were going to perform something back and that was sort of, that's how you learn. You know, where learning through play um, in this very early learning, these early years is very different. It's really a, an active constructive process driven by the child. It's all about the environment and the support that you get. Um, so that's news to a lot of adults. And it's been a while since we were in that position. Our brains are very different than kids' brains. Um, so I think even remembering why our toddlers get fried by the end of the day is hard to real hard to understand until you see sort of scans of the you know the three-year-old brain, and then it's like, wow, it's amazing that they held it together that well. <laughs> so many connections, so much inefficiency so much to learn and, and, and soak in where we're, we've done it. We've been there. We're efficient. We know how to regulate our emotions. So are, we are also dealing with two very different brains. So the space to kind of step back and learn a little bit about a lot, the smaller brain and then what you can do to support that smaller brain and their very natural processes. And by the way, you're not alone. Every small brain in every house in the street is going through its own meltdown at the same time, you know, um, is so helpful. It's really helpful for families. Right. Like to be in a community where everyone can, and I'm sure the parents like become good friends and talk about things together and just like form these great relationships for years to come. Yeah, they absolutely. And I think it's where you find people that you can really connect with. And did that early journey, people say they found their friends. We have a friend actually who moved here to Amherst from Milwaukee. And he signed up for the local Tinker Garden class. He's like, well, I bought a house and then I signed up for Tinker Garden because I figured, okay, got a home and I got to find my people, <laughs> which is really cool. You know, that was like the nicest thing you could hear as a founder. But, um, but I think there is something to that. These kinds of experiences, the free forest schools, the Tinker Gardens, your preschool probably pulls together families that share something. They know they want their kids to be outside, but they want help with making sure 
that their days are based in play and time outside. And I think these kinds of programs and community opportunities are are really important. Um, and we don't have as many of those structures in place as previous generations did. A lot of us are transient. A lot of us are far from our elders or in different places or, you know, um, some of the finding really strong community, especially early in your parenting journey, is so helpful for you and for your kids. And we also have an online community. We've got a Facebook group with families who are always sharing in our teachers things that they've tried, things that they've done, um, you know, sweet little activities and, and just, you know, how do you make a mud kitchen? What kind of mittens work for your kids, but they're affordable? Like, everything that just helps around, or gosh, I had a, I had a rough day, help. <laughs> like that's super valuable. And that kind of support is so makes it more joyful. Oh, exactly. Just to know that everyone else is also struggling with the same question or problem that you might be. Yeah, totally. So if someone wanted to take a Tinker Garden class, have interest in a Tinker Garden class, where would they start? Absolutely. Well, there's a great, there are many levels of which to be involved in Tinker Garden. So we have a lot of opportunities to take ideas and content too. So we can start there. We have a blog um, and we also have a monthly calendar. So you can go to tinkergarden.com slash calendar, give us your email address, and we will send you each month a calendar full of sweet activities to do to get a little more outdoor play. And a lot of them are timely, linked to different cultures, and um, also a way to learn about all people. Um, so there's, there are opportunities like that just to get to know, get to know how we, how, how we play and, and what Tinker Garden thinking is like. If you want to get involved in the classes that we talked about, you can um, come to Tinker Garden and search for what we offer. And we have two programs, the at-home program or the in-person program. At home, you can join from any, any internet connected device once a week. And then you have all sorts of stuff to do at home. Or if there are in-person classes in your area and you can search by zip code, you can come and sign up for our winter program. If you want to take a trial, we have free trials. We want every family to be able to try Tinker Garden and you can try it in either format. You might also be able to join, um, uh, this probably will air after, but we have seasonal events as well. We have our Lantern Walk, which is an annual event that we've done for nine years where we make homemade lanterns and we come together in community to walk to welcome the darkness of winter, but that will be in early December. So um, those are happening in hundreds of communities around the country as well. So any point when you come to the website, tinkergarden.com, you can learn more about the programs, what we're, what's upcoming, and then there's always ways to try um, things first to see if it's a fit for you and learn more about it. Um, and then if you're interested, like, like you're a teacher, if you're interested in teaching, we're also hiring leaders in all over. So if, you're, if this sounds like work, facilitating this kind of outdoor play sounds like work that you'd be interested in. You can find out more about that um, on our site as well. So in order to be a leader, do you need to be a teacher or can anyone apply to be a leader? Anyone can apply to be a leader. About 75% of our leaders self-identify as educators of some kind, but that includes preschool teachers all the way up and includes informal educators like yoga instructors and doulas and people who see themselves as educators. So we also have people who are career changers or who don't have that, but who've always been sort of the Pied Piper at the party, love children, also love adults. So we're working with two generations of someone who just loves humans, loves to play and loves to be outside, um, can absolutely become a Tinker Garden leader and be fabulous. Um, the head of the actual, our, our head of recruiting, so works on helping leaders who apply, move through the application process, 
was a, as a um, defense attorney. <laughs> so she calls herself a recovering attorney and she's the best Tinker Garden leader I know. So, and loves it um, and loves the work and has been so impactful in her neighborhood in Brooklyn since for years. She's one of our first uh, leaders after I started. And um, so absolutely not required, but you really have to just have a belly for play, a love of the outdoors and just relish time with kids, uh, big and small. I was like looking at your website and just the variety of people that are leaders is so awesome. And so many of them are parents too. Yeah, so many are parents. And I think it really does. It's a wonderful match for a family too, because you can bring your kids with you. And I think that's the difference. Um, And it's designed that way. So you have, you know, the kids come right to the classes with you and sort of the whole community understands and celebrates that because you're very invested in what your children are part of. And so we think that makes for even better teaching and better co-learning with the families and the classes. So that's been a really wonderful part that, and also the flexibility to decide how many classes do I want to offer and, um, you know, in a given season and what times work for me. If I'm a parent with the same age children, most likely they work for other families as well. So it does really fit nicely, although it's not, you don't have to be a parent. We have non-parent um, we have parents with older children. We have grandparents. Um, so we have a lot. We have a nice range of humans who make fantastic Tinker Garden leaders. So just all really passionate though about outdoor play. Yeah, it looks so fun. I was watching your guys's like 16 minute video for the leader application, and it just Yay. it got me like really excited. That's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And you know, in the application process, we get to know people and they get to know us. So lots of chances to ask questions because it's not for everybody, it's flexible work. So, you know, um, it has to match with what people have time for and what they're looking for, but it is a really neat opportunity to develop craft, to contribute. Also, um, we have training, new leader training when someone becomes a leader and child development, adult development, um, and um, and then ongoing curricular training and support. So it's a, it's a great professional community. When I was in school, I just longed I loved being with my kids, but I also longed for more professional discourse. So for me, it's sort of like a dream world where these amazing educators between our Facebook group and our discussion forums are constantly exchanging, um, you know, different ways of taking a lesson plan that will create century, but making it work for their communities, for their climates, for the individual needs of their learners. We're very supportive of a wide range of learners. Um, and and identities. And so always trying to think about how to make every single person that comes to Tinker Garden feel like they are valued and they can fully access the program. So to see all the different takes on what that looks like, um, you know, from Hawaii to Buffalo, New York in the winter, is just like, wow. And, and, and to think about, you know, how the different learners themselves as leaders share their process is really awesome. So if you're someone who loves that, and really likes professional collaboration, it's it's extra special. Yeah, that's really cool to think about all the different climates that all yeah. these leaders are in and just like how you do need to tweak all the different lessons. Not everybody is getting snow. Or- right, but that's a design challenge when we develop curriculum. It has to be that core, that that play experience needs to be so good that it can work in all these places at once, right? It makes you so flexible. Um, what's nice about this, you can do it on a rooftop, you can do it in national parks, you can do it in Hawaii, you can do it in, you know, um, the Northeast, you can do it in Chicago in the dead of winter. Like it, it has to work in all places with mittens, without mittens. So 
it's been a lot of fun figuring that out over the nine years too, and testing and learning and measuring. Okay. So, um, and we're always learning and there are always new books and new stories and you know, new exciting twists on how to make sure that different voices are heard too. Um, you know, different traditions are represented. So we're always learning on that, always, you know, always needing, needing to grow in that area also. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that is growth in so many, like every place can grow in those areas. I saw that you guys just shared the menorah. That was really yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 And that's super fun. Um, that's in collaboration with a, a local book own, a bookshop and art space owner and a great group called PJ Libraries. If anybody doesn't know them, they, um, they provide books to um, that support Judaism and stories of Judaism to families. And it's a great organization. So they've been helpful for helping us to celebrate the members of our community and then help. We want all kids to know about all kids because we feel like if they do, they're much more likely to value all different types of people, including themselves. So that whole idea of seeing mirrors and windows, being able to see myself reflected in this program, but also get a window into how others live. And that's really core to how we think about, you know, this, the, the opportunity we have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially at such a young age and it's just soaking in their little brains. Yeah. And if, if things that are other than me feel familiar, they'll feel safer um, and that, then I will be more likely to be curious about them and, um, and think positively about that versus the opposite, which, you know, I think we see a lot of division and, and really nature is a place where, wow, we can all come together, but we have to make space for all identities to be welcomed for that to really work. Um, so we, we work hard on always learning, but we'll, we'll always be learning on that, um, for sure. So do you have a favorite activity that you've led in a tinker garden course <laughs> maybe that's a really oh, hard, hard no. yeah. um it is very hard for me not to say something related to mud uh, because <laughs> even though and I say that knowing that it can be very um uh, polarizing in some ways not polarizing but um what I love about it is we've really learned a lot about how to help every child find their way into the mud um, or around the mud. So mud is just being able to work with earth and water together is pretty magical, but learned a lot, especially from um, occupational therapists, advisors and fellow leaders and thinking about how can we help to warm up kids' sensory systems and give kids lots of different ways to engage with mud so that even everyone along the sensory spectrum can do so in a way that feels really satisfying. So that's been a great challenge. And the mud days are my favorites personally. And then, oh, I, there are so many, there are so many that I love. Um, I love some of the imagination ones are often my favorite too. So when we're going on a mystery hike or things that have mystery involved in them, because those kind of hunts and hikes just naturally kind of get kids so engaged and excited and that sense of wonder and mystery is so ever present that I love to tap into that whenever we can. Oh yeah. All the time. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book leaf man. Oh, I love leaf man. Yes. That, yeah. that, that was one of our, we did a lesson at several falls with leaf man. It's so wonderful. Yes. That book just like screams imagination and creativity with kids and you go on a hike in the woods and they're just thinking leaf man's everywhere. And yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and then seeing the potential for leaf man and everything. 
Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. We do that. And then like, they'll go make leaf man on a piece of paper, but their leaf man's like a fish or it's a rabbit or it's a turtle or Mm -hmm. it's my brother. That's great. (laughs) So, um, is there anything else we didn't touch on? I mean, there's probably, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to add to our tinker garden? That's a good question. Um, gosh, we really did cover a lot, which is great. Yeah, just want to make sure, I just would want to make sure people know that there's so many different ways to get involved and that there's a whole world of free content and events and, and ways to try Tinker Garden in addition to taking the, the full season class. And if we also have a grants program, so if there are families um, or people know families would love to take a program like Tinker Garden, but would be able to, with the help of some support, that that is a program that we people can apply for grants, and it's you know need blind as long as you apply for half off to all off a season, and we give out grants every season. So we just want to make sure if someone's listening to this and said, oh, that sounds great, but you know it is a cost to take Tinker Garden, and we do compensate our teachers, and it's a you know it's a paid program, but that doesn't mean that it that 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 should stop someone from wanting to join in. So tankergarden.com slash grant is also a way to apply for grants. And yeah, we just want to reach as many families as we can. Um, so also we're really open to learning. So if people have ideas or interests or, you know, reach out and contact us on the site. We're very community oriented. Join our free Facebook group. It's called Outdoors All Four. Get great ideas from other people and um, hear about Tinker Garden new programs and classes and events and things like that. Um, so lots of levels, lots of ways to get inspired and get involved. Yeah. Even just looking at your social media page is inspiring in itself. That's great. Yeah. We have super teammates and a lot of that comes from our, from our leaders and our teachers and our families, you know, making suggestions, doing great things, um, you know, and, and just then the ecosystem out there too. So partners, people that are doing this on a small scale in their local area. Um, schools that care about this, you know, we're always excited to partner and share their work and, and, you know, just the more kids we can get outside, whether they're doing Tinker Garden or any program is, is, is serving our mission, which is to make sure that everyone sees their planet as their home and knows how to protect it, that every parent feels like they're a great supporter of outdoor play and every kid gets a chance to be a kind of curious, capable wonder-filled person that we know they can be if they really have a chance to get out there. So um, if there are other organizations who want to team up too, you know, we, that's what we're about. So happy to partner, happy to join forces in any way. That's awesome. Yeah. I got, saw that you guys also partnered with Happily for something. Yeah, we did. Yeah. What a neat thing. So we did, we have our monthly calendar and Happily is providing it through their app. So to get more people, Khan Academy kids, we partner with all the time. They're wonderful. And um, yeah, and just being able to take organizations that also support families in a different way too. It doesn't have to be an outdoor play organization at all, just ways to provide families with really well-rounded support. Um, and we're happy to provide the nature play component that will reach families. Because, um, you know, there are a lot of families who I think also don't know that they have resources like these available. Um, but would love it, you know, if they could get involved too. So yeah, happy to reach families wherever they are. Yeah, absolutely. It's just getting, letting families know that those things are there yeah, absolutely. and starting at your own community. Yeah. But I was excited when I saw happily, cause I, um, write things for them 
Oh, you do. That's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah. There's so many great and little feminist is another book organization that they're just wonderful. They're trying to help everyone make sure they have a really diverse bookshelf and they can, you know, provide kids with windows into others and see themselves in their books. Um, you know, that's another group that we encountered that are doing very different things, but how we well, can really reach and support families in different ways. So really excited to team up with organizations that are just trying to help families to raise happy, healthy kids, you know, um, and then there's some, so many wonderful things out there. Um, so speaking of raising happy, healthy kids, what are some of your favorite things to do with your own family outdoors? Yeah, absolutely. We love traditions. Um, so lantern walk is coming. And so it's the ninth annual lantern walk, um, which started in Prospect Park and my husband and co-founder and I, we had two little ones at this point. And we were bummed that we were turning the clocks back. And we was like, ugh, so hard to run and so hard to do. We were raging against change, which was sort of silly, we realized. And we're looking at these little people. And we're like, we don't want them to rage against what is. And also, this is the rhythms of nature. So what could we do to sort of lean into it and make it more joyful? So got a bunch of friends, made some homemade lanterns with the kids and did a lantern walk and put it in our local listserv over a hundred people came and we were just like, whoa, blown away. And this was even before Tinker Garden? Yeah, I was, I was sort of dabbling in classes. It's just like, there was a need there to come together. And, um, and, you know, someone played some Beatles songs on a guitar and we walked through the park and it was magical, magical. So every year since, and now in hundreds of places, um, lantern walks go on. And now we have content um, on our site for how you can host your own or do your own and do it as a family, do it as a community, do it as a group of friends. Um, so we had 20,000 people do it last year. It's amazing. Just all over the country, just making homemade lanterns out of jars and tissue paper, however you want to do it. We even have lantern making kits you can get um, or give. And um, and so it's become a really magical tradition. It's, it's a holiday in my family because we go out and our friends come and join us. And we're just, it's very simple, you know, very simple, sweet, we make wishes for winter. We love the solstice. We love the changing of the seasons, the new moons that we've really gotten into just savoring a full moon, but then also saying, oh, it's a new moon. What do I want to try? What do I want to do differently? Um, what do I want to stop doing? So a really nice chance. I've just gotten so much closer to the different happenings and the sort of the opportunities that gives you to celebrate or to regroup or refresh and kind of making that just a part of how we operate. Um, I think that's been the, the biggest thing that we've enjoyed as a family, in addition to hikes and um, all kinds of messy play activities that just are part of what the kids love to do. But I think that's the fabric of our family kind of goes along with the rhythms of the natural world in a way that I don't think they would have without this focus on nature and community. Yeah. Okay. I love like how simple the lantern walk is. It sounds so, so magical and so beautiful. Yeah, it's really sweet. And to a little person, we're out at night and these handmade lanterns all lit up in the park. It's just it's right at dusk. It's beautiful. It's very moving. And it doesn't need to be any more than that. We sing a few songs, we walk into the line, and then we go home. <laughs> but it's so beautiful. And then and it's become a real tradition for, for Tinker Garden families. Oh my gosh. So pretty. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it this year. Go, oh, yeah. Is there like a date you guys set, or do you just say like yeah? So tinkergarden.com slash lantern. You can find out all about it. Um, and 
we used to, for years, we did it on the day that they would turn the clocks back. So that would have been November 3rd, I think this year, but we decided to make it the culminating event at the end of our fall season. So the first lantern walk will be the Sunday through the following Sunday. Ours will be the Sunday the 12th. So the week of the sixth, most of the lantern walks that are in for, that are hosted by Tinker Garden teachers or leaders will be that week, but you can do it anytime. It would be a wonderful thing to do for the solstice. It would be wonderful to do on a Tuesday night when you felt like going for a lantern walk. It can be whatever you want it to be, but that that time when, when hundreds of people will be going out together in big groups in local parks, that will be um, a week from, oh gosh, a week from today. I just love that it's like this like happy way to like kind of welcome winter. Yeah, and, and welcome the darkness. You know, it's because without it, we wouldn't, we, we need this part of life, you know, and it's, and, and it's beautiful to see candles lit and know that there's hope and warmth and, and especially in community, you know, you, you come together at this time. And, and so many humans have been doing that for so long. Think of all the festivals of light and fire and, that have existed throughout um, in whatever hemisphere you're in your winter. These are the holidays and the festivals and the rituals because I think we we are creatures that are connected to what's going on outside. And so you notice it's getting cold, it's getting dark. And you know, we come together and we celebrate the light that's inside us. And on we go. And then it, then it's solstice in the summer and we, you know, we stay up late and do crazy fun things. And so it's really nice to have these traditions that come around again and to feel connected to what the natural world is doing. It's also very grounding when the human world can feel a little overwhelming, <laughs> which I think it can these days. And I think kids even pick up on that sometimes. You know, we've been through, you know, gosh, the last several years of pandemic and election cycles and things that just bring out a lot of stress and division. And so to be able to ground yourself in those things that we all share and that will always be there. You know, those mountains have been here for a long time. You know, and, and the sun comes up and the sun goes down and the earth rotates and, and it comes back again. And so we can look forward to these traditions and rituals that we share. I think it makes a really big difference for, for all generations when we can really build community around those things. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, another thing I wanted to ask you was what has it been like working alongside your husband? I mean, you said he's more of the technology side of it. Yeah, I mean, Brian uh, plays the role of CEO, very creative, um, and and he works on the technology product business side. I would be more on the education training curriculum side, um, although he went to Teachers College of Columbia, so has an education um, master's too. So we have a good, healthy understanding of what, you know, the expertise of the other also. And he's just a great partner in all things. We worked together. That's how we met. So we kind of knew how to work together. And I do think that it's not for everyone. I think my mother jokes that like, I wouldn't have lasted an hour with your father. Um, but, but, and we have to have boundaries, you know, we'll go home and we've got three kids and a dog too. So there's always something to do, but um, you know, we have, to, someone might be wanting to solve a problem, you know, after hours, the other person's like, I'm done. Yeah. You know, so we have to build in time for no fly zones for work. Um, especially when you found something, you know, it's like an ownership that it kind of knows you have to put boundaries on it. But, um, but no, it's wonderful. I mean, I get to travel, we get to share all these experiences and the kids are part of it because of the work we chose. It's a real family, you know, our whole family is part of it. And so it's very sweet in that way. I feel very lucky 
to be able to spend so much time and to be working on something that we both are so passionate about. Um, but I think you would need those things in place for it to work because <laughs> it's a lot of togetherness and it's a lot of communication. And, um, but for us, it's been a real blessing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the passion thing <clears throat> is, I totally agree with that too. Cause I, I do this podcast with my husband, so I totally align with that idea as well. So that's, yeah, that's definitely a key component. Um, and then, like you said, like just being, putting boundaries on it. Like if you guys are so passionate about Tinker Garden, it's like, yeah, there is a point where you have to just like be at home. <laughs> exactly. And, and you have your passion about your kids. Like there's no end to that. So, you, and it's like a child and Tinker Garden is like it's another child. So we have to you know, you, you do have to also make time for yourself in it and then make time to be like, oh, wait, we're married. We could, you know, there's also a lot of fun to be had. So yeah, you definitely had to be like, okay, tonight is date night. There's no talking about kids or Tinker Garden or anything, you know, like, okay, that's a great, you know, so you, you, you do have to be uh, intentional about things in ways that you wouldn't if you went off to other work worlds and came back together for sure. Right. Well, it sounds like intentionality is just such a key thing in your family. Like we started this conversation out, like you're so intentional about screen time in your home. Yeah. Trying, you know, and then, then you come and, you know, things are chaos on a random Tuesday, but, but we try, you know, and I think, I think it's more of a, just wanting the kids to be just, gosh, we get one trip through. How do you want to spend it? You know, and you don't nail everything, you know, I mean, there are certain things that are, you know, um, that aren't always as you'd want them to be, but you're working on it and you're thinking about it and you're, you're curious, you know, and, and you're, you're not just defaulting to turning the screen on. You might do it when I'm not looking, but you're thinking about it, you know, <laughs> when I'm not there someday. No. Um, and we have conversation as a group about it. Like, why would we choose this movie versus that movie? And we're not going to have movie night because we already watched something the other night. And this is a lot of screens. Let's go outside and go for it. And, and generally speaking, they're, they lean right in, you know, um, and I, I hear them making choices, especially as we're getting into the 11s and the 12s, I start to see my oldest making some choices and thinking, ah, there it is, you know, um, so you don't win every bat, you know, it's not, it's not the, what is that? I love that. It's not the weather, it's the climate that matters, right? Because in parenting, you, you, you know, you're not, you're not going to get good weather every day. You're not going to feel like a great parent every moment by any means, but if you can create a general climate um, for people where they're thoughtful and then they're curious and they're kind, you know, these are the things like, okay, that's the goal. Exactly. Yeah. As adults, we are the, yeah, the climate setters. And I think a lot of the times, like as teachers, we've been told, like, we are the like, just like the temperature control of your classroom or something like that. Like they, yeah. they feed off of you. Absolutely. And that's been one of the things, cause I can be hard on myself. I think we all can, but then I think, well, how do I want them to feel as parents someday? You know, wow. I want them to feel, you know, human and doing the best that they can and being open and flawed and all these things. So try to remind myself, wait, I don't want them to put the pressure on themselves to be perfect someday. That's not realistic. So you know, but what are the things that matter? And each family has different things that matter, but knowing what those are and making sure that those are the things you really invest in and slow down to have the conversation, even though it's probably you're tired, <laughs> you know, and it'd be easier to let them do X or Y, but like, okay, let's try to make time for this. You know, when you can, 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah. And like the screen time thing, even with my, my baby, he like wants to be turning the TV on. He knows how to take the remote and turn it on. So it, it starts at baby age. (laughs) It does. And there's something in our brains that responds to this particular stimuli, you know, stimuli in phenomenal ways, um, which makes it very powerful, but really something to, to think about. And it can easily slip, you know, um, because of that. So I think is I think that's where for us it was just trying to be trying to be balanced about it, you know, as best we could. Absolutely. Oh, well, this has been an awesome conversation. It's been so fun. Yeah. And I would love to know a little bit more about you and your school and you know, what's what's your favorite outdoor activity to do with kids? Uh yeah, I have a lot. One of your favorites, because I have trouble with a one favorite of anything, but what's one of your favorites? I know it is really hard. So this week we are watching ice melt <laughs> and that's been really fun. We, um, um, cause there's not actually like snow and ice out yet here in Minnesota. It's like that in between time where it's really cold or some days it's really warm out. <laughs> so I froze ice cubes and I brought them out and we've just been like making predictions. Like how long do you think this ice is going to last? Like, when do you think it's going to melt? Is it going to be here on Friday? And the kids are having a lot of fun making predictions and watching it. Like they just are just thinking of all these ideas and their concept of time is so interesting too. Like some kids are like in an hour, some kids are like in a year, a million days, you know, you just get all kinds of answers. So that was a really fun activity just this week that we're doing, but, um, I just like letting kids kind of go out and explore on their own. Like even with sticks, like there's so much teamwork when they grab logs and they'll start like moving logs. And then they all of a sudden build a fort together and just kind of watching them. And like, they'll ask me for help. Like, Oh, I need help putting this stick up Miss Sarah. But like, again, I'm more of like the, um, the stage. What, what did you call it? Stage manager. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, the actors are doing their thing. Yeah. They're doing their thing. They have ideas and they are just kind of implementing them. I'll help them along the way. And there are some times where I really need to show them how to do it. Cause there's some kids that just don't have that imagination. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll pick it up and be like, let's go move this together. Let's see if we can build a ramp and give them ideas. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of segues and opens up their imagination into new ideas. Oh, and then another fun thing that we're doing is just like even getting clothespins. And right now we're hanging up our mittens outside. Like that's a great fine motor activity. Yeah, super fun. And super simple, like Mm -hmm. super, super simple. And I think simple is so, we have this great less isn't more, it's everything. You know, just so simple. And then you can play with it in so many different ways. Yeah, um, that's great. And that could turn into pinning up nature treasures or whatever. I mean, what could you, what else could you pin up, you know? Exactly, exactly. Or like the other day we were out on like a just exploration on the trails that we have. And then they wanted to start making maps. So we started like drawing out maps and they were working all of these mapping skills. And there's just so much learning that is coming from that when you're out there and not confined in a small classroom. Yeah, it's great. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Great. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for your time. 
You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.